welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, fresh off his summer vacation, the one and only Mr. Jerry Springer. Hey! I didn't have a vacation. Well, we're going to call it that, Jerry. Gene's the one who peddled. I had to work. My favorite wine. Hey, by the way, uh, you got to stick around for this. We've got Corduroy (laughs) Brown coming on in a little bit for our musical guest from Huntington, West Virginia. We're really looking forward to not only hearing a song from him, uh, but also uh, getting his backstory. And and we we know a little bit of it. It's pretty good. Hey, Jerry. uh, And for our audience, we always have, we call it a rant. Sometimes we call it the thought of the week, kind of dress it up. But it's Jerry's analysis of something that's happening in the news. It's frankly, it's the heart of the podcast. And so I want to ask you a question. Uh, Donald Trump has largely been banned, well, he's been totally banned from social media. And you haven't spoken to that. What's your take on that whole situation? Well, um, the chaos of the Trump years and our response to him and his cohorts is that we've never really before in American history had to deal with a president who was actually mentally and emotionally unstable. I mean, there are no precedents. We've built a constitutional framework to deal with political and philosophical differences, but what do we do when our government for four years was run by a loony, divorced from reality, not to mention decency, indeed a crazy guy off his meds? The good news is he's no longer in charge. The bad news is we haven't yet figured out how to cure the disease he injected into the lifeblood of America. You'll notice I said injected. After all, he didn't create it. The poison of racism and greed and corruption was already there. He just packaged it. And like the disinfectant he suggested for COVID, he poured this venom into our body politic. And to this moment, the big lie has not been entirely snuffed out. There's still a pulse in the Republican Party, enough of one to give Trumpism a heartbeat, if you can ever use the word heart and Republican in the same sentence. The big lie that Trump actually won the election, that it was stolen from him, continues to be promulgated, now joined by his latest whining as he plays the victim. They're picking on me. They're prosecuting me. They're silencing me, indeed, keeping me off social media, which is, of course, true, but not without legal and moral justification. And as is his want, he's fighting back with a slew of frivolous lawsuits, the latest against the social media giants, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube, for banning him, at least temporarily. Yes, these lawsuits are legally meritless, and he has no chance of winning them. But I am worried that, as with the big lie, they give him a talking point and something for his cult followers to hold on to. Because though he's legally incorrect, cries of, I'm being censored, the deep state is silencing us, it plays right into the narrative he sells to his followers. 
their resentments that they're being ignored and passed over by the powers that be. It's unconstitutional, cries Trump. I'm being denied free speech. Now, legally, technically, and factually, he's wrong. But to the casual observer, keeping him off social media sounds like a violation of the First Amendment. But it's not. The First Amendment prohibits the government, that is the state, from denying free speech. But Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube are not the government. They are private companies. And in fact, it is the very First Amendment that guarantees that the courts or any other arm of the government can't force any citizen or private company to publish a particular article or give voice to a particular person or point of view. The courts can't tell Fox News they have to carry all of Biden's rallies or speeches live, just as they can't tell a social media company they have to carry Trump's tweets. So legally and constitutionally, Trump is dead wrong. But to a significant portion of the public, considering how social media is now overwhelmingly the way most Americans get their news and opinions and talking points, it will seem to the Trump faithful and Republicans that this is censorship. And as we've seen over these past few years, truth is not required in our political discourse. A cry of censorship, if it's merely something that those with a grievance can hang on to or put on a sign, this will be enough to carry some Trumpists through the 2022 campaign. Look, America is better off with Trump being denied a platform to generate another insurrection, this one potentially far more violent and may be successful. But we're kidding ourselves if we think the issue of censorship, however false, doesn't have traction, because it does. It's another tool in the Republican toolbox. But for the rest of us, it raises an issue we can't avoid, the growing and unbridled power of social media. We all know free speech is the touchstone of, of our constitution and a democracy. Our society is founded and based on the principle that we are to be governed only by those to whom we give our consent. And that consent will be given by a vote. Our vote will be based on our own personal views and interests and desires, which in turn are derived by the information and knowledge we acquire every day. If that information is tainted, if we are being fed lies and distortions, our vote becomes worthless because it's not based on reality or truth. So it does not reflect our best interests. It's a hollow right. Simply put, democracy depends indeed only works if the electorate is informed so it knows what it's really voting for. So that's the conundrum. We bow before the altar of free speech, but the price of free speech is that not everyone who speaks or writes or broadcasts is being honest or telling us the truth. That has always been the case. But we have managed to survive the corruption of this sacred right because we have always had many sources of information, making it possible to sort out the hucksters, the liars, and those who really don't have the people's best interests at heart. But we're now in a new age, a mere handful of companies 
own the platform where virtually all information is communicate, communicated to almost all our citizens. And there appears to be few, if any, filters put on what is transmitted. Truth is no requirement. And suddenly we are facing the real possibility that our very form of government, our very democracy, can be toppled by bad actors abusing this miracle of social media. It's hard to argue anymore that the principle of free speech requires us to do nothing about the hate and lies and misinformation that is so easily and so often transmitted as fast as our fingers can hit send. Every constitutional right has certain limitations, including free speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't incite people to violence. And it's time now to shroud social media with regulations. Each platform must have a board of fact checkers. Blatant lies, hate speech, calls to violence must result in the perpetrators of these messages being banned from their social media accounts. Words have consequences. We saw what can happen to our country when lies and distortions are given oxygen. We got Trump and we got an insurrection. If we don't start regulating, if we don't start setting up guardrails, guardrails, if we don't start imposing penalties and legal consequences for those who blatantly lie and spread lies, why do we think we won't have another insurrection, another uncontrolled pandemic, another national crisis? We will. You can take that to the bank. That is, if yours is still open. Nice. Thank you, Jerry. Good job, Jerry. Hey, um, by the way, I know, and it's another thing that's in the news as we record this, and so we're recording this on August 2nd, and it'll hit our archives in a couple of days. Uh, hello to everybody on Facebook Live. How you guys doing? And by the way, hey if you're on well, those of you who are on Facebook Live right now, if you have a comment or a question, uh, write it in the comments and David will watch for those. And we'll, you know, it's one, one way we can get our uh, Facebook Live audience interacting yeah. with us. Oh, Gene, yeah. I just got a notice from Facebook. Oh, I've been banned. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Darn. Didn't take long. That's right. Jerry, no. do you know Facebook. what... What was it that got you banned for Facebook? What post was it? Yeah, that's right, Megan. Yeah, tell us and tell us how you posted it, right, Megan? Yeah, exactly. What I want to know, yeah, what I want to know is how do I get on mm -hmm. Facebook other than you guys putting this <laughs> right? On. Yeah, by the way, if you ever get banned from Facebook, they're actually banning David Proust. Anyway, hey, uh, right. <laughs> hey, as, I, hey, great. as I was saying, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, so, Never get out. So we're uh, recording this on uh, August 2nd. So we're one day, one day into the second week of the Olympics that are coming out of uh, Tokyo, Japan. Oh, right. And man, there's some interesting stuff going on there, too, such as, mm -hmm. I mean, there's some, I don't know, I don't know if I call it. Well, let's hit the political thing first. So there's a woman named Raven Saunders, and she's a shot putter. She's African-American. She's a woman. She's openly gay. And when she got her silver medal, and congratulations, Raven. That's a huge accomplishment, by the way. 
isn't it? I mean, anybody to get any of those damn medals. So she earned a silver medal. And at the uh, ceremony, and by the way, it's against the International Olympic rules to do this, against their rules. She made a political statement. She crossed her arms into an X. I I don't know. I didn't see in an interview if that's a Malcolm X thing. But clearly, because she's been interviewed, and she's, look, uh, I chose to make a statement on behalf of African-Americans and women and gay people. And she did it. I have a question for you, Jean, because her statement, like the X that she did, was to symbolize a crossroads. Oh, there you go. Um, for the LGBTQ uh-huh. community. All right, good. Yeah, so it wasn't, and from what I read on the IOC stuff, it was supposed to be protest. Protesting is not allowed on the podium. Oh, so interesting nuance. I, when I read it, like when I looked into it, like that that symbolism was, I didn't take it as protesting. Now, I don't know if other people are arguing that as well. It's just what I told I hear you. Well, some are saying, uh, without even regard to the whether or not it's against the Olympic, mm-hmm. International mm-hmm. Olympic rules, some are saying, as usual, there's always a camp of people, aren't there, that say, leave sports out of it. And yet sports figures, and Raven Saunders might be an example, this is who they are. This is their moment. So they don't get to do it somewhere else where they can. They can go join a protest, but it's their opportunity. But then you have Simone Biles, who's being attacked by a lot of people for being soft because she, (laughs) as she described it, you know, uh, could get in the air and get all confused. They, They I learned this from listening to these interviews. They call it the twisties, getting disoriented in your own head. And you can get hurt, I'm sure, real badly if you get, you know, all screwed up in, in the air when you're going around about four times. So what, what do you think, Jerry? And what do you think, Megan, about what she did? She is going to compete in the balance beam that everything else she backed out of. And as well as Raven Saunders using this opportunity uh, to make her statement. What do you guys think? Well, as for Biles, she she's a human being. So, uh, you know, my guess is not only my guess, but uh, 20 years ago and everything before that, these things never would be much of an issue. Look what has Harry happened? Drug. You what? I said, remember Carrie Strug? We celebrated that poor yeah. woman being injured yeah. and vaulting. Yeah. 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 But what I mean in terms of the coverage and the reaction is that because television is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on this wall to wall coverage of the Olympics now, they have to justify it. In many cases, sports, that, uh, some sports that people aren't really that aware of or don't follow much during the course of a year. So if you'll notice the coverage of the Olympics, 90% of it is the personal lives of the people getting into their heads, how they were raised, all these, what we call in television packages that you put together to get us emotionally involved. Um, that has become the key to get people to watch these Olympics. It was the same thing when we, when America beat the Russians in 1980 in hockey. 
most Americans weren't into the sport of hockey, to be honest. It was, you know, clearly didn't get the audience that uh, baseball and football and basketball got. And all of a sudden, and then we were into the lives of every one of these guys, everyone, what has happened to them since. So I think there's a lot of focus being put on it, but I think the issues that she's dealing with are issues that through the years, as Megan said, you know, athletes have always had to deal with. I just think there's so much coverage on it now that it's being blown way out. You know, this is tough. She's a person. It, it, it's, it's, it's a mental thing she's dealing with. We don't even we don't take mental health that seriously in America yet. And, and so I think that's very valuable. I also think there's great hypocrisy in the Olympic Committee saying politics doesn't belong in it. When in fact, the whole thing starts out by every nation marching in with their country's flag. Yeah. If you're really interested in who the best athletes in the world are, what the heck does it make a difference what country they're from? This is a, a competition between nations. It's political. You know, will the, it used to be, will the Americans beat the Russians? Uh, you know, uh, uh, the shooting um, in 1972 of the Israelis um, mm -hmm. when, the, when they murdered them at the, at the Olympics of 72 in Munich. Um, it's always been political. Uh, Hitler in 36, um, you know, the whole thing with Jesse Owens running and he didn't want uh, any African-American, uh, you know, beating one of uh, the Aryans. <laughs> it's bless you. Um, so um, uh, for those who couldn't see it, Megan just sneezed. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, people are wondering why I'm blessing them. Yeah. So <laughs> thank uh, you, Jerry. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thank I want to bless you. <laughs> but I am not. Uh, and in 1968, we had the, uh, the the raised fist on the podium. I mean, the Olympics uh, are so hypocritical about this. Of course, it's political and individuals have a right to state their politics. Uh, and, and, and that's different. Again, that's not the government, you know, a particular national government saying you can't. You know, uh, so I disagree with the decision that the Olympics are making, but I'm never saying that you can't have protest. That's not the key. I'm saying if you if you use the you know, what she said wasn't a lie. She wasn't trying to start a re revolution based on things that aren't true. We do have politics. We do have poverty. We do have um, uh, racism. Those aren't fake issues mm -hmm. so when she stands up and protests against poverty and racism and discrimination that's a wonderful thing she's protesting against so good for her i think when we kind of and i agree with everything you just said there jerry but i think when we go back to the simone biles piece um for a minute before we move on gene like i think it's really sure. important to when we look at what's expected of all of these athletes, it's, it's, you know, it's the pride of the nation on their shoulders. And we've used, you know, words like this for my entire life. And I know my, and I think it's, it's kind of a sign of the times where for the first time we're looking at these athletes, not only from their package as, as they've been produced and put out there for the public to see, but we're seeing them as humans. They do have access to social media. They do have access to speak 
to their fan base now that they have going into the Olympics. So for somebody who has a voice like Simone Biles and the power and the success behind her to say, I had to do this for my own mental health, that's a conversation that's never been had in the Olympics. So I think it's really, really important that that is out there. And as far as like, I'm sorry, I'm sitting on the couch. It's like me watching the Oscars. Like I'm sitting there going, well, she looks like trash as I shove my face with junk food. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like who am I to say anything? Like us judging these athletes is absolutely ridiculous. So, hey, you know, look yeah. at that. Oh my God, I stubbed my toe going to the kitchen. So I have no business saying anything about any of these people. And Simone Biles is just, she's a bad, yeah. sorry. Well, so. I, I, think, I think half the world yeah. thinks that maybe more, way more than half. Uh, uh, has it hasn't been interesting to see the level of support she's gotten from fellow athletes and uh, and just in celebrities? Uh, yeah. There have been some people, Jerry. I know you know and have over the years become friends with Piers Morgan, and he's been very uh, bitter and caustic in his comments about her, and basically yeah. saying she's soft and she's a chicken and all that. Uh, but this this but perform- th- that's his shtick now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his shtick now. He's always taking that position on. But yeah. you know this thing. Yeah. Uh, and Megan, you've been a performer your whole life. You trained as an actress. You've performed on many stages. Jerry, you have as well on stages in front of huge audiences. I've given my fair share of uh, through my profession talks in front of large crowds. There's this thing called performance anxiety, and there are some major celebrities that it shut them down. Am I right that Barbara Streisand for a while couldn't perform? Is it Carly Simon? I'm pulling names out of my memory. I could be wrong on the celebrities. But there are certain people that just uh, can't face it. It gets into their head. They're too scared. They're afraid they're going to throw up or or pass out. You know, these are some of the anxiety uh, symptoms or responses. And isn't that what... uh, Biles went through and said, I can't do it. And and Gene, what we can say is thankfully for the good of society, Jerry never suffered any of that. <laughs> so we didn't have to go. He actually I had. actually once did, did you? I actually did you really? Yeah, I actually once, I mean, never to the point that I didn't go out mm-hmm. there, but when I was doing uh the musical Chicago on Broadway, okay. yeah, every single night. Just before I went out, because if you saw the musical, there's the grand entrance of uh, Billy Flynn, yeah. my character. And I, I felt nauseous. Okay. I really got physically scared. Yeah. Now, of course, I wasn't not going to go out. But, boy, when I went out there and suddenly could the spotlight's on you because it's pitch black. And suddenly, they, the, you know, the chorus starts chanting, Billy Billy, and it builds and it builds. And then, boom, the snare drum is hit. The curtain opens, a spotlight which blinds you. And then I got to come down these 25 steps in a dance. I was so scared every night, physically. That's the one time that it was like, like, otherwise, you know, obviously I love it. How long did it take in those performances of Chicago for that to fade, did it fade in a matter of seconds once you said? You- By the middle of the song. Yeah. Once I was down the steps and start singing, then then I was like, OK. But as long as I were, uh, was on those steps, I just envisioned yeah. 
you know, and, and, you know, how many times do you hear athletes, which obviously I'm not one, but athletes saying you have to visualize what you're going to do. Well, you know, and then you can, you know, visualize hitting the ball. And well, all I could visualize was tumbling down the steps (laughs) and the crowd hooting and hollering. And then puking on your shoes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Megan, did you, have you ever experienced that kind of anxiety as a performer or not? Yeah, I got, I, we call it going up. Like if you, I did mostly stage performing and like, if you forget your lines, it's called, you go up, you're going up on your lines. And I had, I was playing a role and I had been off book. So I'd had my lines memorized months ahead. I was super pumped for this role and never once needed to call line or ask for help during the, during the rehearsals. Well, we got to final dress and we had an audience and I got out there and just like Jerry said, like the lights hit, I hit my mark oh. on the stage and I looked over at my scene partner and I just went, line. Like it was this like four minute oh. monologue that I had and I had no idea. Oh. Where to begin. <laughs> and my thinking oh. scene partner just stood there like, uh <laughs> well gene on these kind of stories gene is my hero because gene you tell the story gene walked off the stage oh, that's- <laughs> yeah it, it was tell us, well it, it was a uh it was in right, a community theater so it was legit well I mean, it wasn't professional in the sense yeah. that we weren't professional paid equity actors and actresses but it was formal. It was a formal show and they had a pretty damn big audience out there. And I got into my scene and I just drew a blank and I just said, and these guys that were in the show, it was kind of a teenage show, a lot of teenage characters. So we were all about the same age or college age. And I just said, see, and I walked off stage right in the middle. And they had to sort yeah. out. And Megan, you know this. Well, you've been in theater too, Jerry. So you know this. Yeah. You then have to yeah. sort of, you don't stop the show and say, oh, yeah. you know, no. <laughs> dude forgot his lines. And so now we're going to tell you what he missed. And no, you have to keep the conversation going and try oh, to, you have to move it around to, to fill yeah, in the look info. At, and they had to do that. You were helping people sharpen their, was, their skills, challenging their impromptu challenges. Yeah. Hey, I want to mention. Well, in that same, go ahead, Gene. No, no, you no, go. no. Finish you your talk. Go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> no, in, in that on the same issue in the on in Chicago, there's a scene I have. You know, I'm the lawyer, and I'm course examining Amos. Yeah, and uh, he's in he's in the chair and during the trial, and he draws a blank, mm-hmm. just a blank, and I could see it in his face. And I've got like twenty questions in a row, yeah. and he's so I would, then, but I know his lines. So then I would say, isn't it true? Yeah. That you, and he'd say, yes, sir. Isn't it true also? I went through. That's what a senior was supposed to That's do. It. Just kept saying, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. That's the, yeah, so you guys are professional. I'm just some amateur. That's jump. called being kind. <laughs> yeah, I didn't partner. walk off the stand. Yeah, it just seemed like the easy thing to do at the time. Hey, uh, while Jerry was uh working and by the way jerry for the last month is and is now sort of finishing up he's got the month of august and maybe the first week of september of new episodes of judge jerry which we're all looking forward to seeing they'll roll out this fall uh 
I did filled in and did this thing called uh, Riding Down America. And we did four shows. So we're not going to go through all that. that. If you want to hear those, I'll, we certainly welcome you to listen. Go to the archives and listen. But I did want to highlight one thing. While riding a bike 1,100 miles across two big chunks of America, that's the short of it. I met this guy, Dr. Larry Gray and I met this guy coming out of a hotel. Uh, we, uh, Dr. Gray and I stayed under roof in hotels, maybe two nights out of the 30 day trip. We camped largely and that's what we wanted to do and it was a blast. But a couple nights we went to a hotel, you know, got, got two rooms, dragged the bikes into our respective rooms wash clothes in the laundromat, blah, blah, blah. As we were leaving, we saw a three-wheel bike in the lobby. That's called a, 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 a recumbent, I guess. And there's two wheels on the back, one wheel on the front. The rider sits sort of like in a lawn chair and it can't fall over because it's a trike. It's a three-wheel bike. And then we met this guy out on the bike trail. He was on the same route we were on, these two-lane roads. This was in Montana. And here's his backstory. His name is Ryan. He's 43 years old, as I recall. He uh, has Parkinson's disease, which came early because as a career military guy, he was in a training exercise stateside and they were setting off explosions to help young troops learn and feel the percussion of these explosions and to hear the sounds and to become accustomed to the drama and the chaos of a battlefield. And they set it off too close to him. He at the minimum got a concussion, but then the Veterans Administration did conclude that it jump-started Parkinson's. So now he is disabled and he keeps at bay, he explained to us, because we started to ride with him and camp with him a number of days and nights, and we got to know each other. A very uh, strong uh, Trump supporter. I'm a very strong Biden supporter. Yes, we talked about that, you know, fair amount. And But yet, uh, like a lot of life situations, uh, that gets put aside if you're bonded over some other stuff. In our case, it was uh, fun of sure. riding across, uh, in our case, a portion of the United States through the dramatic Western landscape of Montana. So Ryan could rode much slower than us because he's on a three-wheel bike and he has Parkinson's. And we're on e-bikes, which means, you know, there's no throttle, but you can go actually faster if you choose to, if you crank up the assist on it. Yet we rode together a fair amount. Sometimes we put one of us behind him, one of us ahead of him. And then at times we'd surge ahead, but we'd meet up in campgrounds. And here's the piece I want to highlight. I just told you Ryan is a conservative Republican and Montana is largely, particularly when you get out on those roadways and 18 wheel trucks are going by two lane roads, but a speed limit of 70 miles an hour. So they're going 80 cars are anyway. And Ryan is like one of them. You get what I'm saying? Like, like they're, you know, yeah. conservative Trump supporting truck driver. I'm stereotyping here and I'm generalizing, but I'm probably correct about this. Yeah. And they hated him. Why? Because he couldn't, some of the roads we were on had no berm. 
some had wide berms, some had narrow berms, but they had the rumble strip over there, so you couldn't ride over there oh, anyway. Right. So you ride the white line, and cars and trucks would go around, and the vast majority were very respectful and gave went around, gave wide berth. But some of them were like, you know, you'd feel them almost touching your shoulder as they would go by. Ryan in Colorado, we weren't with him at this time, but I've had multiple comrades. I talked to him last night. He got hit by a truck. A trucker hit him on his recumbent bike. And probably they should have been hitting me. I'm the one they'd want to be running over. And they hit this guy who is a disabled Trump supporting veteran. Did he? Did they stop? Was it a hit and, and run? It was not. Did... What happened, the specifics were the truck, the 18-wheeler truck hit the left back wheel of his two back wheels. So two back wheels, one front wheel. Yeah. And catapulted him. He says witnesses told oh. him like eight or nine times he's flying, spinning through the air. He lands in a dish, destroy, ditch, destroyed his helmet, which means his helmet probably maybe saved his life. He broke his arm. He dislocated his knee, had other abrasions, destroyed all of his gear and this very expensive bike that the various people helped him get to make this ride. Because by the way, he says riding and backpacking have really helped him pull back Parkinson's. And that's why he does this. He has a wife, lives in the the upper peninsula of Michigan. The truck driver stopped the truck driver wept. He went to the hospital with him. So he he did the right things. It, you know, Ryan felt at least yeah. on the surface. The insurance company is now involved. Obviously, he did not die. He is going to try to finish this ride next summer. But it just made me think how crazy it is. Yeah. Sometimes you, you and it's not like this this truck driver ran this guy down. Don't get me wrong. He said he didn't see him. Yeah. He had all these flashing lights on the back. He had a big flag hanging. And by the way, get this. One of the flags, when I first met him, I noticed the three. He had a flag, a white flag on the back, and had three triangle flags. Here's what they were. The top one said Bell, and Bell is a vendor. They make helmets. So it might have been like a sponsor or something. The second flag is an American flag. The third flag was a don't tread on me flag. That's the flag that these like survivors fly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't tread on me goes back to, you know, revolutionary times and all that. But but it is is the preferred flag. I saw a lot of them as I rode through Southern Illinois, Montana, Kentucky, where people would hang out Trump flags, Confederate flags, don't tread on me flags. And they, and you know, people would blow their horn at Ryan. They would try to brush him off the road. And it's like, man, if you knew this guy's story, you you particular people wouldn't be doing this. Anyway, I thought it was a little backstory worth noting no, that's a great Ryan, story. If you're yeah. listening, uh, peace and and as we have said, I hope you're feeling yeah. better. He said, and he had a rod. Last thing on this, he had to put a rod in his arm because he has Parkinson's. It, it won't heal. Can you picture it? If your hand, because every time yeah. I, we were with him, oh. I mean, he told us right away. He says, "Hey, look, I got Parkinson's." Because he would be, 
his hands yeah. were just constantly in motion. Well, that means that a broken arm won't won't heal if they put that in a they did put it in a cast. Yeah. But if that's always moving, yeah. it, it's not stable. And so they had to put him to sleep and put a rod in his arm. And he told me, I guess last night when I talked to him, uh, oh, it just says it just throbs and hurts and but that it'll go away and he'll heal and he'll go back out and finish the ride. And uh, and here you go, Jerry. When we when he finishes that ride. You will go with us. You will be on a bike in that small group ride. Let me check. Time. Let me let me check. And you my have a better schedule. chance of getting me on that bike oh. ride than you do, Gary. I, I, I know that's <laughs> yeah. true. I know. Hey, I want a oh Megan. I'm good. We'll even give you a t-shirt representing yep. the, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of that. That's yeah. the voice. I'm gonna hand this over to Megan. That's a voice, a corduroy brand. Sure is. Hey there, name. corduroy. Nice to have you on. Uh, yeah, good to see and hear you all. Well, yeah. okay. So I did a little bit of research yeah. on you before that um before our show, and you have quite a story here, sir. It sounds like the last 12 months have brought about quite a bit of change for you. And Oh, good grief. That's an understatement. Yeah, yes. I, I, I couldn't even begin to do us justice. So give us a little bit of background here and what brought you to us tonight. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it's crazy to be looking at you all. It's like never thought I'd end up on the Jerry Springer podcast, but we're not, you know, we're rolling with it. Um, yeah. I, I told everybody and I was like, everyone was like, you're on what? I was like, yeah, just, 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 I said what I said. I said, what I said. Just go with it. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, if anyone is hearing this and seeing this, I'm from Huntington, West Virginia. Um, it is, you know, the We Are Marshall movies, kind of what we talked about a little bit. Uh, I also tell people like, you know, I'm from the area that Katniss Everdeen is from in the Hunger Games. So that's yeah. great. You guys are explaining a lot of like the Trump flags and stuff. And it's like, yep, we and Confederate flags. Yeah, we got we got those two. <laughs> yeah. We got those two. It's kind of tragic. But yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you want me to get into everything specifically yet. But, yeah, I'm a musician from Huntington, West Virginia, make some rock pop fun stuff. I like to describe the style as like. Uh, this music will make you dance, but it, you'll probably be crying while you're doing it. So you're kind of crying while you're dancing and it's kind of a, a mix of both. <laughs> I love it. So uh, COVID brought about uh, some stuff for you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And then we will listen to some of your music. Yeah. So I could probably preach a whole three hour sermon, but I'll try to spare you guys the whole thing. Um, you know, in January I got COVID and it wasn't all that bad. It was like a cold, you know, I felt kind of crappy, but not awful. Um, so I get, get over COVID and uh, about a month goes by and uh, I'm at work and my, my lymph node in the side of my neck is huge. Uh, my kidneys are kind of hurting and I'm kind of just feeling off. So I go to an urgent care and they're like, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'm just going to get antibiotics. And they're like, you might want to go to the hospital. Your blood, you know, some of your blood stuff is kind of wacky right now. Like, and I was like, come on, can I just get antibiotics? Like, can, come on, surely it's nothing. A few more days go by, I'm throwing up constantly. Uh, and my kidneys are in the most excruciating pain. And I go to the hospital here and they say, we, you know, I stay there for a little bit. They didn't admit me to like a, a room, but just on the bottom floor there. And they're like, uh, we don't really know what's up. Here's some nausea medicine and anxiety medicine. You need to kind of just chill it, chill it off, you know, take it easy. I get out of the hospital and uh, I go back less than 24 hours later because I am miserable at this point. I have no words to describe the pain that my kidneys were in. And that's like on a Saturday. Um, and 
I'll fast forward to Tuesday because I spent Saturday to Tuesday in the hospital and they're just not sure exactly what's going on. And uh, so what happens is, you know, Tuesday morning, I text one of my friends. It's early. I hadn't really slept. I still haven't eaten yet. It's been Thursday since Tuesday and I haven't been able to eat anything because I've just been throwing it up. And, uh, you know, they come in and say, hey, we're going to put you on some oxygen. You want to get your lungs are kind of kind of struggling right now. We know you had COVID before, so maybe it's that. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. Like, I'm gonna get out of here in like a little bit. Maybe it's whatever. A little bit more time goes by and they say, hey, Mr. Brown, we have to put you on a ventilator. And I said, You're, we're doing what? For what? And why? And they're like, um, well, right now, um, you're in heart failure and kidney failure, lung failure and liver failure. And I said, hold on, what's happening? And they're like, we don't, we don't know yet. And Next thing I know, I'm sedated and put on a ventilator. I don't remember that part, uh, obviously, but and here's a crappy part. I got to ride in a helicopter. I've never done that before, and I didn't even get to enjoy it because I was freaking (laughs) gone. That's Um, insane. Man. um, But apparently, this is what my parents said. You know, I got life flighted to Morgantown, West Virginia, and they said, my parents said that when I landed, like, I was actually gone. Um, um, I was put on uh, life support. It's called ECMO. And generally when you're saying, when you, when people are in ECMO, you're generally saying goodbye to people. That's like last ditch effort. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. And, um, I will say this guys, like, you know how people talk about like seeing a white light and stuff like that. Yeah. That's completely real. Really? Like I gotta, ex- yeah. I gotta explain, I gotta tell this to you guys. It's I've talked about it to a couple people, but like, yeah. it's nuts. And so I, I remember wow. like being in this like infinite and the, the timeline checks out because apparently like, I don't know, like if I was gone from some time I got in a helicopter to the time I landed, I was gone. And um, so I remember like seeing this like infinite white, like space, think, think infinite as far around as you could see infinite white. Yeah. And I knew that my body was there. I could see myself kind of, kind of like whatever I was and wherever I was. And I could see this little, like, like almost like a ball of energy or, or an orb or something. And I hate saying it like that because that makes it sound super spacey and weird. But I remember seeing this plain as day. I can see it. Like I can see it still. And it started really close to me. And then it slowly, 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 slowly went away. And I watched it. And that was my soul is what it was perceived as in that state that I was in was my soul. And um, it's freaking weird because like, I used to like take that shit for like, you know, like, okay, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, but I saw this and what's wild is that like, as crazy as that sounds, that was the most at peace I've ever been in my entire life. Huh. That was the most wow. beautiful, peaceful place I've ever been. Wow. And I, I don't know if I was like next door to heaven or if I was in purgatory or if I was, so I don't know, huh. but I remember that plain as day. And, um, so that's kind of like the spiritual part that we could probably dive into hours about. But, but like, I remember waking, like, like <laughs> if that doesn't influence your art and your music, wow. I don't know what else could. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know yeah. what like, I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, believe yeah. it has. Um, like, I, I, I'll kind of skip through some of it, but I woke up in Morgantown and they, they, there's a way that they measure like the output of your heart. It's called ejection fraction. So like think of a, a faucet when you turn on a faucet full on, you just got a full stream of faucet or whatever. Well, people who have great hearts go down, uh, their number for the ejection fraction is, is 50. That's like the perfect heart. Um, people who have heart attacks go into like the thirties 
and mine was a 12. Mine was a 12. So like think of a faucet where you barely, barely, barely have it. And that's what my heart yeah. was doing. So that's what they put me on life support for is to like help my heart, like take a break basically to like, so it didn't have to do anything. Um, that's incredible. All I remember a couple of days later was I'm in Morgantown and the doctors are like, Hey, um, Mr. Brown, like you're in Morgantown, like, you know, West Virginia Mountaineers college football, like, you know, and, and I'm, they're trying to like, you know, I'm attached to everything. I have these big giant tubes in my hips for the life support. And I signed paperwork that was like, Oh, Hey, we might have to do a heart transplant. Um, you might get a heart with hepatitis, but you'll have a heart. Um, can you sign this? And I was like, <laughs> that's like one of the first things I remember. And there's videos of me talking to nurses, like talking about all the music that I have and Patsy Klein and all this stuff. I don't remember. Yeah, that's nice. but, um, <clears throat> so was it COVID? It was a part of COVID. So it was this thing called MIS-A. And if you've never heard of it, it's because it's not a common thing. Um, basically my immune system violently attack the antibodies that COVID my body made from COVID so violently that it sent my wow. system into like, you know, in, inflame everything, wow. just freak out everything. Um, wow. And it was so violent. I mean, I was in four stages of organ failure. Um, so they basically had to just keep me alive long enough so that my body, if it came, if I came back to a body that I could basically, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's wild y'all. Like you, you learn so much when you're in a hospital bed and yeah. you, you learn so, so, so much. And it's, it's, it's not about the things that you have. It, it's like, how did you love and how did you, how were you loved? And, and that's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff like memories and experiences and stuff that matters so much more than anything else, you know, emotionally and physically that you could really, really have is like, how did you love and did you pursue everything that you wanted violently enough to go after it hard? Like, I don't know, I could preach a sermon. So please ask questions or otherwise I'll, yeah. I'll get off on the thing here. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. for one, um, I know, and I, I certainly don't mean to like try to change the subject because I really love, I love hearing that perspective and like what you've, what you've experienced. And like I said, I'm sure that it has played into your creation and your art. Um, you do have a song for us this evening called I Know Better. Was this pre or post experience? Uh, this was well ahead of that. Um, was it? Yeah. And there are some songs on the album. I have an album that's coming out uh, August 13th, Friday the 13th. It's an unlucky day, but it's lucky for y'all because you get to hear an album. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a couple songs <laughs> on there that are word for word. I have to tell you guys before we play I Know Better. Um, I remember texting my friend Jeffrey McClellan, who who produced the album and played drums on the album. I remember waking up to text him and it was kind of gibberish because I was still sedated and people were like, oh, man, like, I don't know what you're trying to say, but I'm glad I see your name pop up on my phone um, because I was gone. And uh, like, I remember texting him like, hey, man, we got to do better. We're not we're not going to we can't hold grudges. And I feel like God called my bluff. And um, you guys were talking about mental health earlier, like mental health therapy and medicine saved my life. Um, so like, I was just talking to Jeffrey about all this different stuff. And he sent me a song. And um, the song was like, literally word for word, the stuff I was texting, like texting him. And keep in mind, I didn't know he even wrote the song. He had written, mixed, mastered and sent me a song that were literally the words that I was texting him when I woke up from dying. And that's crazy. So like, we could get off on another tangent like that. But yeah, this song is yeah. called I Know Better. And uh, it's kind of like, if someone has broken your heart before, uh, you are very hesitant to let down the walls for someone else and you kind of repeat the same patterns. So um, 
we could get into all kinds of stuff but this song yeah i know better yeah that's <laughs> it Oh
Yeah. Very nice. All right. All right. Well thank, you, song. thank you. Thank nice you. Nice song. That is I Know Better by Corduroy Brown. Corduroy, tell us where we can find more of your music. Yeah. So Corduroy Brown uh, is literally everywhere. But if you social media wise, Corduroy Brown WV and everywhere, um, it's going to be literally anywhere that you can listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Um, I'll send you a cell phone video of me playing it in the car if you want. I mean, literally <laughs> anywhere. So that's um, good. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so that's much. Great. We really enjoyed it. Uh, your story was really something, man. Like that's crazy. Um, and glad that you uh yeah. came out on the other side and that you're here to talk about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, Life and, is uh short, and so don't waste it. <laughs> yep. Well, speaking of life being short, please, while we're here on this earth, go online and let people know what you think about us. (laughs) Check us out. You can go to Facebook. Um, You can go to any of our social media, jerryspringer.com. Let us know. Leave us five-star reviews so that we can stick around and bring you uh, artists like Corduroy and Thoughts by Gene Galvin and Jerry Springer. Thanks, guys. We're going to take you out with um, Jerry Springer. I'm going to lay down my sword
Thank you.